become a patron of Entertainment Landfill. Go to patreon.com slash landfill for details. Entertainment Landfill is made possible by contributions from listeners like you. Thank you. You're listening to Entertainment Landfill. Film, television, pop culture. It's where you find it. Welcome to the show. This is ETL Daily. Hello, I am the Jstrom. Welcome to the show. This is a show where we talk about film, television, and pop culture. I am alone at the moment, but I do have a special guest, a recurring guest. That would be Adam Sexton, uh, and he will join me here shortly. But uh, guys, I'm so happy to be back with another ETL Daily This is ETL Daily, episode 14. This is uh, Cinco de Mayo. It's uh, May the 5th, be with you. Uh, It's the day after Star Wars Day. I wanted to do it on Star Wars Day, but I figured um, the show will come out anytime. People won't listen to it on Star Wars Day. What does it matter? And I was like, oh yeah, you're right, Jason. Oh yeah, that's right. I just talked to myself like that. Hey, Jason, yeah, you know, just like that. It's Yes, I'm insane. But anyway, you got to do that. When you do a solo podcast, you have to learn to talk to yourself. But I am here to talk about all the film, television news that drives me nuts during the week. And I can't wait to talk to Adam Sexton about that. Some of it good and awesome. Good news that I can't wait to uh, get into. And some of it like, ugh. God, I'm sick of reading about this. But I want to share it all with you to drive you crazy, too. I need to share in the misery. Now, guys, I also wanted to say that I want to apologize that there has not been an ETL daily for the last two weeks, I believe. And I'm sorry about that. I have been cranking out the Chuck series companion, though. I've been doing one a week of the Chuck series companion. And I hope you are enjoying that show. If you're not, if you're not watching Chuck, you don't even know what it is. What the hell is this crap on my feet? Get it off. What is Jason doing? He's lost his mind. It's some kind of midlife crisis. Uh, I'm sorry. You're probably right about all the above, (laughs) but I'm going to keep doing it anyway, because uh, that's what I'm into right now. I'm really having a good time. Uh, Going through one Chuck episode at a time and blogging about it. It's kind of keeping me in a nice routine. You know, I don't want to slip and just stop doing anything. The last thing I want to do is to not be productive at all. So I want to keep that going, especially for the patrons' uh, regular shows. And that's why I realize I'm going to have to start getting into the ETL dailies, possibly solo some more. Uh, although Steven would like to do a show with me. This Friday, hopefully, and uh, we can get another show out, and hopefully they're entertaining shows, and you guys will have a lot of fun uh, listening to them and stuff, because, uh, let's face it, I like doing the show, I like doing shows, I like putting out podcasts, and I hope that people are out there listening to them, because uh, it gives me a lot of joy uh, doing it. 
I have a lot of fun. I've also been writing a lot and keeping a blog on each Chuck episode has helped me write regularly and I'm trying to keep writing. <sighs> it's all about structure and routine and I've got to get into that. Well, okay, guys, it looks like our guest is here. Let us welcome Adam Sexton. Hello, hello. Hello, Adam. What's up? What's up, Jaystrom? Well, I guess the show is up. <laughs> but thank you so much for joining me today doing a an ETL Daily. Thank you very much for inviting me, sir, once again. Yeah, it's great to have you here. And, you know, I hadn't done a show in a while, and I just was itching to do one. And uh, I thought I'd ask you and see if you were available. Well, I appreciate you sending me the invite. I'm, I'm uh, surprised that uh, neither one of your co-hosts are available, considering that, well, what has not happened in the past two weeks? I know. There's so much, like, movie news and trailers and all this crap going on. And I wanted so bad to do a Star Wars show just talking about that, that uh, new trailer. Yeah. And uh, I couldn't do one for whatever reason, and it drove me nuts. I thought about doing a solo one. I was like, that's lame. Uh, so uh, I'll talk to you about that. How awesome was that Star Wars trailer? <laughs> oh, it's, it is uh, – it made an even stronger impression, uh, not just because of the added footage, but we got – uh, a little bit more glimpses at some of the cast, uh, or or we heard uh, from uh, other people in the cast. Uh, we it, it felt like an even even more potent nostalgia rush than the previous trailer gave uh, gave us, which was very which was very slim at like what was it like somewhere under like eight uh, ninety seconds or or something like that. Yeah. It was really just a teaser to uh, get us a little titillated, if you will. Yeah. And I, I can remember talking to my older brother uh, over over Christmas break about it last year where he, he said, I, I mean, it, it's well done, but it's just not enough. I have no idea. I, I still don't know what the movie is. <laughs> and, what, and what this teaser does is it, it doesn't. It, it doesn't. It does what? I mean, it's another. It's basically another teaser. Right. But it's not giving away anything. But it's showing us just a just a little bit more enough to make us to uh, to bring us back into childhood the way that a lot of us felt when the first teaser came around. And yeah. of course, there are certain sights. There are certain sounds. That really uh, made that trip back into nostalgia, back into childhood, uh, a lot more powerful. And as a result, I think more people are really, really sold on The Force Awakens as a result of that second teaser, myself included. So when I contacted my brother about it, it was just, oh, oh, of course he's in because as a, he was a Han Solo fan growing up. And uh, this one really sealed the deal because of what happens at the end of that uh, teaser. Right. I think that uh, people who weren't sold in the first one, seeing someone from the old cast definitely made it, sold it for them. You know, it's like, oh, there's Han and Chewie. Woo! And, you know, I was already sold. But seeing Han and Chewie, I did, uh, uh, you know, I watched this video 
where it showed people's reactions. And I never thought of that, like, I'm going to film my reaction watching this trailer. But apparently a lot of people did. And you see some people, they just have a smile on their face or they uh, a tear and they kind of hang their head and they're just happy. Or people like jump up like, woo! And that's what I did. I did the woo with my hands in the air. And it was so funny that um, that day after the trailer came out, when Emma got home, I said, hey, I want to show you something. And I sat her in the chair in front of the computer and I put the video. And <laughs> it's so funny, different people's reactions. Uh, she, uh, you know, some people are like Han or Chewie. Her first thing was Chewie. You know, she sees <laughs> Chewbacca and uh, she was excited. Oh, wow, that's going to be neat. And then later on, when Heather came home, my wife and I showed it to her. I felt her arms. And right when he goes, Chewie, we're home. You can feel goosebumps on her arms. And she was like, whoa. <laughs> it's just so funny how they tag that at the end with Han and Chewie. And it totally gets you, you know. That, that that's so sweet that it sounds like the like you and Heather were embracing each other as you were watching the the teaser. If yeah. that's what I'm to understand, yeah, I couldn't wait to show it to her. Just so I wanted to get her reaction. So and I just put my arms on her shoulders. And it's like, oh, there they are, goosebumps. <laughs> <laughs> did did uh, I, I remember when Bill posted a photo of this to Facebook? Apparently, someone made like a smartphone video recording of the trailer's premiere at the Star Wars Celebration, where the crowd just went completely ape when yeah. they saw that uh, teaser. Did you see that? Yes, total yeah. ape shit. Yeah, and I that. Watching that video brought me so much joy because it reminds me of when I saw Return of the Jedi. I will never, I've never had a movie experience since like Return of the Jedi when, uh, you know, I've talked about it before on the show, but when Luke is saying, Father, please, you know, when mm. Darth Vader picks up the Emperor, everybody in the theater was jumping up out of their chairs. They were just <laughs> screaming. It was like so loud. They're freaking out. And that's what it kind of reminded me of, that electricity in the atmosphere. You know, everyone's that excited. And that's what Star Wars does. It makes you that crazy, excited, and full of joy. And I totally felt that from that video. So that was awesome. Yeah, I, I was too young to be to see Return of the Jedi. I think I was three when it came out. My brother, who is five, was able to see it. So, of course, I had to settle for home video. I did see it in 97 when the special editions came out. So I didn't quite have that... that uh, that communal crazy experience when you were finally seeing that so many pivotal moments from that movie, but that one in particular, but, uh, but yeah, there, there's no telling just how big, how big a moment that was for, you know, every, everyone in that theater. Yeah. And uh, that's, that's kind of the feeling you're getting with, uh, this, this movie. And hopefully these, these next two movies where you're going to get, you're, you're going to see something you haven't seen before. You're getting new characters. You're, you're getting these, you, you, you feel like you're being set up finally for these setups and payoffs in a star Wars movie that you can no longer predict or anticipate right and and there's something really exciting about that that that's interesting you say that because like the prequels even though we didn't know what the story was we knew it led to anakin's turning to the dark side and him becoming to darth vader so we knew bad stuff was going to happen you know mm -hmm. 
But this, we have no idea what's going on. We don't know what the story is. And I think another thing is, even though we've had other Star Wars, like the prequels or the Clone Wars or whatever, and video games, we're getting the original characters back. And there's something about that that's so exciting to hear Luke's voice or to see uh, Han and Chewie. We can't wait to see Princess Leia. It's just exciting that those characters have kind of been just sitting there waiting for us to come back to... Uh, to finish their story or continue their saga, I guess. I can't wait for their stories to continue because it's left off so long ago, you know. And I'm not even going to count the books, the EU or whatever, because, you know, you could do that if you wanted to. But this is like the the movie saga, you know. <laughs> it's just yeah. exciting. Yeah, and it, and it makes you wonder. I mean, it's been like, what, 30 30 plus years since Jedi or something, and you're kind of wondering where is the story going to take us? Is what's what was left of the Rebel Alliance? Are they are they the Rebel Alliance anymore? Since they seemingly won the war, or did they? Since now they've got a new foe to take on, you're wondering about the state of the Jedi. You're wondering about so many things. It, it could go in so many directions. So the fact that you can no longer predict that for a movie, uh, I mean, and, and movies always going, a movie in the star Wars universe is always going to be the big thing. And we just, I, I and you, you and Bill don't really have to say any more about the prequels. You've, <laughs> you have covered that so much, <laughs> but, and, and while I know that there's great stuff coming from what they've shown us, uh, through television series, uh, the, the the movies are where it's going to count because that becomes the the cultural event. That's where they're going to entice people who maybe, like myself, has not seen everything from the from the any of the TV series, any of the spinoffs, or something like that. So that's where I think the thrill is coming. You know, a Star Wars movie, especially at this point, has so much baggage coming along with it, right. and it's going to have something different with it that the pre- that the prequels didn't have. I mean, back in 99 when Phantom Menace came out, we didn't I mean, we were hoping it was great, and I remember that was the first time I ever heard the term critic proof where a, a movie was going to play big no matter what the critical response was and it didn't seem to phase anyone at least initially that critics were not too happy about Star Wars. But uh, the end result kind of felt very underwhelming to people, and that uh, continued on for some uh, with the next two prequels. But that's the teaser is not only saying, not only are we getting something that we can't predict, that we don't know everything about, but there's that promise that it could actually be good and fun on the level that the original trilogy was. Uh, it, watching that teaser, you're thinking, oh my God, they could actually pull this off, and that would just set the world on fire in a really good way. Yeah. I'm excited about it. I mean, and of course, you know, there will be people that hate it just because they're mm. those type of people or they're people just hate things. You know? <laughs> oh, the, yeah, that that's really been in uh, that's really been in fashion for quite a while. Uh, and I'm sure we'll get into that uh, later on. But, you know, screw the haters. You know, we're yeah. not not every movie is going to satisfy them. And, uh, you know, so what? <laughs> 
Yeah, all I can do is worry about me, you know? <laughs> yes. And just sit there and watch the film and hope I enjoy it. I'm pretty sure I will. And I'm excited to take my daughter to see it because mm-hmm. she uh, has she saw none of the Star Wars films, even the prequels, in a theater. So this will be your first Star Wars film in the movie theater. And that's awesome. Yeah. Because she was, yeah, when uh, Revenge of the Sith came out, she was still too young. And, uh, you know, I knew that Anakin was going to turn to the dark side. Why take my little daughter to see that? (laughs) (laughs) But eventually you did show her the trilogy. uh, And if you've covered this on the show before, I apologize. But did you show the, the, uh, the movies in a particular way like original trilogy first and then prequel or did you just not show her the prequel at all what what, what was your uh what was your method for that i gave her uh you know i had the box set of the original trilogy on dvd and i had the uh, prequels on dvd also and i gave her the original trilogy box set <laughs> first hmm. i was like let's watch this it's you know he's got a floating car and robots you know you try to sell it to a little kid you know and they're like okay and they uh and she watched it and she loved it and for a while she would repeatedly watch it you know how uh, small children they watch the same thing over and over again when they're into it yes and uh, eventually you know she was watching all of the star wars films and you know one day i asked her what's your favorite one and she said the one with anakin and I was like, oh, okay, is that is that this one? And I held up the Phantom Menace. She goes, yeah. And I go, okay, <laughs> that's fine. You're allowed to like whatever you want. <laughs> but I was like, damn you, Lucas. <laughs> it's that freaking Jar Jar. She loves it. you know. <laughs> but, yeah, she loves all the films. Um, so she's familiar with all of them, which is cool. Well, you know, your relationship with a movie is never quite done. So maybe when she's older, she'll feel differently. But I mean, yeah, yeah totally. that it, it was weird. You showed her the original trilogy, thinking that would that would be the deal breaker, and then you show her the prequels, and you think, man, there's no way this is going to land. And somehow, uh, Lucas <laughs> yeah. did it. Like, yeah, I, I, no, no wonder, no wonder you kind of uh, feel some kind of. Uh, some small level of uh, poison toward him. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, it's no big deal. She can like yeah. whatever she does. I'm just glad she likes Star Wars stuff. And, you know, the when the Clone Wars series appeared on Netflix, you know, I was excited to start that. And I got to season two and I got distracted like I do with other things. But she poured right through like all uh, six seasons. Wow. She was like, oh, yeah, it's really good. You want me to tell you about it? And I was like, no, 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 no. I'll get to it myself. And right now I'm on season five because after that trailer, I was like, I want to watch something Star Wars. And I started watching Clone Wars. And I don't know if you've ever watched it, but it's a lot of fun and very entertaining. No, but I need to I need to get on the horse. I'm just distracted, obviously, always by other things. Yeah, yeah. Like I will start um, certain like – start binge watching something and lose interest or uh, something else comes along that takes away my attention. Like for instance, I was right in the middle of the latest season of house of cards when daredevil came out and then I binge watched daredevil and I haven't returned to house of cards. You know, it's just the way it is. 
Oh, and you were, and I can remember us, I can remember you talking about it on the show, and I can remember you speaking to me about this. Uh, you were psyched about that show, so uh, it's it's kind of no wonder that something else came along and take top shelf and then rocked your world in such a way that uh, it, it, it took you away from whatever you were trying to get into previously. Yeah, uh, Daredevil, that... I binge watched that from Friday to a Sunday. And what's funny is I actually, when we did a show on that Friday when Daredevil came out and I watched seven episodes and then we recorded the show and I wanted to return to uh, episode eight, you know, like, okay, now it's time for episode eight. But Heather was like, well, I want to watch it. And I was like, okay, I'll start over. So I started over with episode one. On Saturday morning, and by Sunday night, we were done with the series. And, of course, then you're like, where? There's no more. What do I do? I'm depressed. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You watched uh, all of Daredevil, right? Yeah, it it seems like I watched the first five episodes one weekend, and then the next weekend, I did everything else. I, I finished the whole season run, and I was just floored by it um i was i was very uh very taken by how they pulled off this what was roughly an kind of an origin story but it didn't it didn't fall in the same traps as origin stories usually do where it just feels like it's drawn out or you're seeing you're you're coming across beats that you can anticipate that that tv show was was so uh it was so unpredictable in how, and very surprising in how it would measure the the action beats along with the character stuff. And it was really heavy with character interactions. Most of the most of the most riveting moments in that show are just conversations between two people, and they're very quiet and they're very very intense and you're getting all these very uh human relatable moments between these characters and that's ultimately going to be the strength of that show despite the fact that i mean the fight scenes holy crap i mean they really brought their uh a game with that stuff so it was it was very very surprising and you know with that with that five episodes you get a little taste of the people like the kingpin, the further on you go into the show, especially with that one episode that was directly related with the kingpin, mm-hmm. I was just surprised that that character. I mean, I was able to see a side of him that I could kind of sympathize, despite the fact that I know that Wilson Fisk is is a monster on a level like that. So, yeah. Right, they made uh, all the characters seem like people. Mm-hmm. They they uh, fleshed them out so well uh, over the course of the season. It was almost like the season was almost like a book, like uh, chapter by chapter, and it was one big story. And you know, I listened to that one Kevin Smith podcast where he talked about Daredevil for an episode, and he described it as a 
13 hour movie and it does yeah. feel like that it's just like one long movie when it's over i didn't feel like i just finished a tv show it didn't feel like a tv show it felt like a, a long movie or a book like story and that's what um the tv show uh the wire reminded me of when i watched that was it felt like i was watching a book or something cuz that's the way it took its time it went its own pace it didn't ever think it had to go in this kind of action movie pace you know there's no car chases or any of these quick editing slick things it does its own thing uh, uh, and it sticks with it and it works so well and it was so kind of fresh feeling you know what i mean yeah definitely and and the, the fight they put fight scenes when it really mattered never for the sake of just having a fight scene everything yeah. felt character oriented whether it was that that uh tracking shot of the hallway in the second episode whether it was his fight with uh the red ninja i guess to, to call it that just not to for to avoid spoilers for anyone who may have not yet watched the show at this point yeah. Or the, his fights with uh, the Kingpin or or any others, it, it feels like those beats came when they mattered. And I was never you're, you're never impatient for those moments to happen. It just feels like they're perfectly placed. Yeah, that that uh, fight with the Red Ninja. What was funny about that is. I was saying out loud, get up! <laughs> Damn it, Matt, get up! You know, you're like, uh, it was a brutal fight. And it was yeah. funny, I think it was like three in the morning. And uh, you know how that episode ends at the very end of that episode. And I was like, oh, we gotta, I can't stay up anymore. I gotta go to bed. <laughs> like, And it was like, first thing in the morning, like, eat breakfast. Okay, let's continue. Let's get back to that episode. We gotta see what happens next. And I like how the the gears kind of switched. Like, you know, they had to go into a different story kind of thing. I don't know. You you don't want to be spoilers about anything, but I hope everybody watches Daredevil because it's a it was a great series and a lot of fun. And it was kind of bittersweet because I was waiting for Netflix to renew it for a season two. You know, and they did pretty quickly. You know, a week later, but. Um, Stephen Denight, unfortunately, won't be the showrunner for season two because he has other obligations, he says, in the film world. He's apparently working on some kind of film. And I wondered if uh, I'd listened to another interview. You know, when I really got into it, I was looking for interviews everywhere. And mm-hmm. the actress who plays Karen Page, Deborah Ann Wall, her boyfriend does a podcast called Scratch the Surface with E.J. Scott. And he reviewed, I mean, he interviewed Stephen tonight and he goes, so are you excited for a season two or are you ready to do that? And he goes, um, yeah, I am. I really hope the show gets renewed. And if time permits, I will be involved. And I was like, whoa, why did he say that like that? <laughs> you know, It sounded like he's not going to be involved. But then when it got renewed, it said, you know, he will not be the showrunner. I was like, oh, okay. Well, that kind of sucks, you know, because... This guy is the guy whose show ran uh, Spartacus, which was a great show. And uh, I just was really excited to, as to what he brought to Daredevil. So I was a little bummed out that he won't be in, he won't be the guy 
show running season two. But that's okay because he says his uh, two other writers who were writers with him on season one will be running the show. And I'm sure they don't want to mess anything up. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Do, do you know if uh, Drew Goddard will be returning? I know that he was one of the he was one of the showrunners, and I think he stayed on for maybe like the first two or three episodes, but then had to leave because he also had yeah, other obligations. He, Have you heard anything about maybe him returning at this point? No, I haven't. Um, all I know is that he he was the showrunner. He wrote the first two episodes, then he had to leave to work on Sinister Six, so Stephen DeKnight took over, and they were, they're both friends, and they both worked on Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel together, and so uh, he was like, it's in good hands with Stephen, Stephen DeKnight took over, and... Um, these two uh, other guys that are taking over from Stephen and I, they were also Buffy writers, apparently. So it's one big happy Buffy family, apparently. Well, so at least I, they know what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. So I'm excited about that. I don't know what's going... See, the, the, that's the weird thing about... Um, he went to go work on Sinister Six, right? But then the Marvel Fox thing happened with Spider-Man where they're not going to do any more Andrew Garfield Spider-Man. So is that Sinister Six movie not happening anymore? I guess. It wouldn't make any sense to go forward with that, would it? I, I have no idea because when it was an, it was announced that uh, – uh, what's what's their name? The people who the two the directing duo who made uh, the Lego Movie they were announced that they were going to make an animated Spider-Man film. Uh, it, do you have you heard anything about Goddard being involved with that film at all? It, the only thing I see on IMDb is he's uh, attached to an untitled Spider-Man reboot, and yeah. he wrote the screenplay to the Sinister Six. And it says it's in pre-production, but you never know how good IMDb is on those things. Yeah, it, it makes me wonder uh, what that animated film is going to be for the Marvel Universe, whether it's a it's a one-off or maybe or maybe it's it's kind of like you know the Animatrix shorts where it exists in the universe, but it's not mm-hmm. what the what future movies are going to be from this particular point onward. So. Um, I guess we'll just have to see. I mean, there's, yeah. there's, it just seems to be very little information at this point. Yeah, we'll just have to wait and see. And you know what I kept thinking back to Daredevil is the people working on the next series, a.k.a. Jessica Jones, are probably like, well, shit. What are, you know, like, <laughs> well, they're kind of screwed, aren't they? Because if it's not as good as Daredevil, they're screwed. Am I right? And- yeah, and they have to make it. The, the, these TV shows that they're coming up with uh, have to be connected with the Daredevil show. So yeah. uh, not only do the people running season two of Daredevil have to be have to be on point, it has to extend to those other TV shows that will be coming out as well. So yeah, because- and the, and the TV shows have to somewhat connect with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So right. hopefully everyone's kind of on the uh, on the on point on the same page. Yeah, like I, you know, I even read Kevin Feige said that uh, Feige. We always Feige. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
that Jessica Jones is more of a noirish type of series, which is fine. But I just mean it needs to be as good as Daredevil. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. If it's not, it's like, oh, this looks like a CW show or something. Then they're totally screwed and they better not drop the ball on that. But yeah. here, here's one thing like up in the air. You know, we don't know what's going on with Sinister Six, but. Let's talk about this. The Suicide Squad photos uh, surfaced, or a, a photo of them. Not to mention Jared Leto's Joker picture. And the whole internet exploded that day. <laughs> um, my first reaction to the Jared Leto po- po- picture was, oh, okay. And it wasn't like excitement or whatever. It was just kind of like, okay, you know, what is this movie about? What is this movie? Because the Suicide Squad exists in the same universe as Superman and Batman and all that. But what is this one-shot movie going to be? I have no idea. I'm so, like, clueless as to what any of this is. You know, when when uh, I was a guest on your first ETL Daily episode, the subject of the Suicide Squad movie uh, was discussed. And I told you back then, I knew very little about the comic books, so I didn't really have much of an opinion. I'm like, great. Uh, I, hope thing, I hope things turn out well for that project. And, you know, David, uh, is it Ayer or Ayer is... Uh, writing and directing and he's he's a talented uh filmmaker but uh i didn't i didn't see that thing coming but uh i i knew very little about the source material so i didn't feel i felt kind of neutral about it uh uh great we can get these characters in the to uh into a movie have them integrated into the dc uh uh cinematic universe and uh, if it turns out great, then great. But I still haven't gone after anything on the source material. Right. So I, I still don't really have an opinion either way. I mean, I'm kind of you know crossing my fingers, hoping it'll be great. Uh, as far as the Joker pick is concerned, yeah, people lost their minds. And right now I can't tell if that's just a promo shot or whether that's final design for the character. Either way, I just don't I just don't really care. I mean, because people are gonna lose their minds either way. But until we see a little bit more about this character and what they're gonna do with him within the film or the movies going forward, then we'll be able to have an opinion. But uh you know, internet fanboys, the ones who are really militant and the ones who are really aggressive in their opinions whenever their characters, their interpretations is represent, isn't represented, when they go completely ape shit, it's, it turns into some of the, the ugliest stuff. Right. And uh, I just can't relate to that. I can't relate to how a character from a source material gets adapted and then their appearance has to change. Sometimes you have to change uh, costumes. You have to change uh, character design to, to make it more to make it more flexible or at least at least more practical when you're shooting a movie. And I and I understood that if you change a character's costume, well then so be it. My interest is what are you going to do with that character? What story are you going to tell? Right. And 
it, it's just I, I can't relate to any of the, the 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 bitching and moaning that a certain faction of the uh, people on the internet seem to resort to every time something like this happens. Yeah, that's true. I mean, uh, it, it all matters what's in the movie, what he's doing in the movie, etc. It's just a picture. And the picture was like a still, like a promotional still. It wasn't even from the movie or anything. Yeah. And people were like, oh, the the tattoos are a little too over the top or on the money. Like it says, mm. ha, 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 ha. And my whole thing, just tattoos in general, have gotten out of hand in movies. Whenever they show the guy doing push-ups or chin-ups in a movie or he's got shit on his knuckles written in <laughs> tattoo, it's supposed to be like... You know, it says mama on his hand or something, or it's supposed to be, you're a badass if you have tattoos in movies. You can be a badass with no tattoos, no ink. I'm kind of sick. I'm over ink in movies. You know what I mean? Right. Everybody's got freaking tattoos everywhere. Uh, And that's, it's just funny that someone like the Joker, this classic villain who has this certain appearance, they've added tattoos to him. It's kind of hilarious to me. And I mean, I don't care either way, but it seems unimaginative. Like, let's give him tats. Yeah, Joker's inked up, yo. It's just like, okay, whatever. It just doesn't seem very creative to me. You know what I mean? Like, mama doesn't love me or something tattooed on him. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, he's crazy. He's added tats. Oh, he's the Joker. He's already crazy. Joker's all inked up, man. Like, shouldn't Bane? Bane looks like he should have tattoos, like sleeve tats and stuff. Yeah, and and Tom Hardy is known for having you know tattoos all over all over his body, and that they apparently had to remove that, or at least he had to have makeup applied to hide that stuff. Yeah, they you you know in Hollywood on film sets they have all that cover up makeup for everyone's tattoos. They probably invented it for Angelina Jolie because I always heard she was all tat inked up, you know. Yeah, but it's just funny, like oh, I know how let's. Let's ink up the Joker. Just like, oh, okay. You know, I have no idea what the hell this movie is. Still. <laughs> Neither do I. What the hell? Uh, I don't even remember. In Ninja Turtles, do they have tats? I expect them to have tats in the next movie. No, but I hope. Ninja well, I say I hope they never have. I still haven't seen the, the movie that came out last year. <laughs> on some on some level, I don't really care what happens. It, it feels like I had my day in the sun with the Ninja Turtles back yeah. in the early 90s. I don't care what they do with them anymore, despite the fact no, that I, I hear that the Nickelodeon TV show is actually pretty, pretty good right now. It's pretty fun. Yeah, my daughter watches it. We yeah, saw- but it, it's it's not going to ruin my childhood or my childhood memories if they take it in a direction that I'm not interested in. So. Right. You know, the, la- the latest film uh, was we went and saw it and, you know, left the theater and I kind of forgot about it. It's that kind of film. It's like it's fun for... 90 minutes and then you're done. It's not like anything like, oh, I got to own that and watch it repeatedly. It's not that kind of film, unfortunately. Yeah, but I mean, even as an adult, do you really see yourself getting uh, getting excited about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles at this point? No, 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 not at all. It just seems like something that should die with childhood. I know that's a, it's kind of an evil thing to say, but I, at some particular point, I just don't know what 
what I mean, I, I can remember how I felt about him right now, but what exactly what exactly can I get from it uh now as an adult? I just don't see how I could. You've seen the Ninja Turtles. <laughs> You've experienced the wow. Ninja Turtles opus. You don't need to experience it again, right? Right. <laughs> and, and even back in the nineties, it had it reached a point where it just burned out. Yeah. And I, I'm I'm so surprised that it still resonates with kids, and that you know toys are still being sold and great and all. But yeah, uh, I I just it, the just the idea of the Ninja Turtles is so nutty that I yeah. I couldn't justify if I invested justify it to myself if I invested it anymore. Yeah, I was the right age when the black and white comic book came out and my friend Ray and I were trying to collect them but <clears throat> they got pretty expensive pretty fast but we really enjoyed those early comics and then we of course we were too old by the time the animated series came out and the, you know when the movie came out it was kind of like go see it just because we loved the Ninja Turtle comic book when we were kids and so we went and saw that, and it was fun and everything. But when Turtle Mania took off, I guess if you want to call it that, mm. uh, you know, it's way too old. You know, I didn't buy toys or anything like that. I was just too old for it. But it's neat that my daughter, it like Ninja Turtles keeps coming back. Like they kill it off, they run it into the ground, and then the next generation of children come along and they bring it back again. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, and I knew that there was like a. Uh, a comic book series before the animated show, but I was just the right age when the animated show came out, and then the movies came out. By the th- by the time the third movie came out, I was just yeah, whatever. Mm-hmm. the The animated show had already reached a point of stagnation where the animation was so poor that. I lost interest with the TV show. I had, you know, I had figurines. I had all the turtles, most of the villains. I had the freaking turtle van to go with it. That stuff may still all be in storage at my parents' house or something like that. Oh, a fellow checker, eh? <laughs> Gotta love those Ninja Turtles. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I can remember how that animated series just really took the fun out of it, and it just seemed like, <laughs> I, I, you know, you go back and you watch like the some of the earlier episodes, including the pilot, and they're incredibly well animated for their time. But I can remember, I forget which episode is it, but it's like uh, it's a, it's like Raphael and uh, Donatello are fighting. Uh, foot soldiers, and the, this is how poor the animation reached. At one point, uh, they're they're back to back. Donatello and Raphael are, and they're talking to each other, and how they're and they're fighting off foot soldiers. But all they're doing is they're raising up their hands up and down like they're doing jumping jacks with their weapons and foot soldiers are jumping at them and just exploding for no reason that's how poor the animation became for that series yeah the further it went on and that was even as a kid i was just let down I was like really fellas you couldn't spend a little bit more money to show them in action screw this yeah yeah <laughs> i just remember when we first saw the uh toys in the cartoon come out because you know we were old school black and white comics fans and to see them they had different colored bandanas or and we were like what did they do no (laughs) you know when when in the comic book the way you could tell them apart was by what weapons they had but 
they had to like make it even easier. Like they each had to have their own color and they had to have initials on their belt buckle. We were like, no, what did they do to them? It's so lame. But that's funny. Yeah. And of course, you know, they, another screenshot, Steve Amell, who plays Arrow on TV, his picture as Casey Jones uh, just came out and uh, people were commenting on that. And all I can say is his mask looks like uh, the Green Goblin from Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's probably not a good sign, is it? I thought it looked ridiculous. It's this gigantic mask. And in the comic books, he wears a ski mask, you know? Yeah. And that's it. It's like a molded ski mask, and it doesn't have to be this gigantic thing, but it's funny. Now, I wanted to talk to you about this because this is kind of the kind of this is the kind of thing that everyone speculates and wonders what's going on. I've seen some really rude comments, and I've seen uh, Drew McWeeny got fired up about it. Now, people should stop saying creating rumors where there's no facts involved, but Josh Trank has left this Star Wars anthology film. He, uh, I read where he said that, uh, you know, it was a hard decision, but he decided he really wanted to go in a different creative direction with his career, more original filmmaking. And, you know, things like this happen. He's a young filmmaker. He's since done, you know, he did Chronicle and he's already made uh, Fantastic Four. And the main comments that I read is people said, oh, they probably watched Fantastic Four and it sucks so bad they took it away from them. You know, people say shit like that, which there's no, no there's nothing to back that statement up. But people like to say stuff like that. Yeah, if I mean, and Trank at this particular point, uh, he's an accomplished director, but he's he hasn't. He's made mostly smaller films. And uh, what we're beginning to – and what people seem to forget is that when you're getting involved in a big franchise for – in a big franchise uh, entry for a film series, it's going to take a lot out of you uh, as as a filmmaker. You're going to have producers – uh, who are wanting you, who are going to place restrictions on you. It's going to take a big chunk out of your life. And uh, and I'm sure we'll get to it, but this, I also f- was reminded of this uh, when uh, it was announced when Joss Whedon's, uh, his last directorial effort for the Marvel Cinematic Universe at this point is Age of Ultron. And, Obviously, he would want to move on and do different things, but projects like this can really wreck some people. It can really take them out, even take take it out of them, even if they pull it off really well. And uh, and, and if Trang doesn't want the pressure, I, I I think he should just try something smaller. I mean, yeah. So good good luck to him. But yeah. Fanboy fan reaction is a, you know is what it is. Yeah, I read like, oh, they must have watched the fantastic flop. <laughs> and uh. Stuff like that. And just like, shut up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, I have nothing against the guy at all. He might have just seen this mountain he had to climb to get this film made and was like, I don't have this in me. I just got done reading this interview with Joss Whedon about... Uh, the Avengers and 
certain sequences like the farmhouse sequence and he had to sit in all day meetings with executives to talk through those scenes and why they were necessary for the film and yeah. it sucks the energy out of you the creative energy that you have to explain over and over again why this will be good for the story and the film and uh, that kind of thing you have to deal with this executive level of people who okay things. And I can understand how it kind of kills your spirit after a while, you know? Right. It's, it's amazing that someone like Whedon who had proven himself, you you still have to go up to bat every time you do something. And I, I wouldn't want to imagine age of Ultron without that sequence at the farm or with any of any sequence. Uh, And I'm wondering what he had to cut out. Uh, and I wonder what he was able to live with, but it's, it's crazy that, you know, certain directors should have that clout to do whatever they want. And no, uh, apparently that's just not the case. Right, right, right. Maybe that's, uh, another thing like someone like Edgar Wright saw, you know, like, nah, this really isn't to me. I'm getting sick of going to these meetings and telling you people the same thing over and over again. Mm-hmm. If you, you haven't got what I'm trying to do yet, maybe I should just leave, you know? And it's, maybe it's a, it's a smart thing. I mean, if, if I was chosen by a studio, they were like, we want you to do a standalone star Wars film about Boba Fett. Of course I'd be like, hell Yeah. And I would sit through those meetings like uh, there, it would take a lot for me to quit. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, 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 it makes you wonder like uh, Shane Black doing Iron Man 3. And Shane Black has a particular attitude and a particular approach. And I heard Marvel had to rein him in on a lot of on a lot of things, on a lot of ideas he had for that movie. And it makes you wonder his experience with making it, despite the fact that the movie was great, uh, his experience making it kind of soured him on being involved any further in that universe. So, uh, so he just kind of had to walk away from it. So if, if you're a filmmaker like the Russo brothers who are, who are willing to kind of endure all that mess uh, and, and can make it work fine, but it it just seems like being a filmmaker for these franchise movies requires not only a general's mindset but a certain uh, a certain mindset and a skill set that's going to uh, be able to, that that's going to be required for you to handle it on a creative level and dealing with it uh, through studio execs on, on a corporate level. Yeah. So, and not everyone is uh, not everyone has that skill set. Yeah, I'm probably maybe Josh Trank after like five movies may have been ready, but it's just too early in his career for something like this. Yeah, possibly. Maybe they asked him, and we want this sequence, and this will be cool. Look at this uh, cool uh, mock-up we've done. And he's just like, how am I going to film this shit? I don't know how to do this. I made a camcorder found footage movie, guys, (laughs) or something like that. Yeah, I mean, and you've talked about Spider-Man 3 and how Marvel rode uh, Sam Raimi to such a degree that well, uh, he made a movie that kind of reflected yeah, his attitude Sony. towards uh, that experience. Marvel in that that was yeah. Sony's uh, meddling, yeah, more than Marvel. But you know, every every uh, you know studio has executives that give you a hard time. 
maybe sometimes my main thing that uh, I hate reading about test audiences. I wish they would just get rid of that whole thing. You know, <laughs> <laughs> like, well, test audience didn't like this. It's like screw a test audience. I want to see what the director wanted me to see. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I'm I'm curious to who now they will find to do the next Star Wars anthology because their idea is to have a Star Wars movie every year. There will be, you know, Force Awakens this year. There will be that Gareth Edwards anthology next year. Then there will mm-hmm. be Episode Eight the year after that. And then the next anthology film. That's really cool, but uh, I wonder who will make that. Yeah. It's basically you're getting, you're accepting a job with a giant machine and you have to be ready for it. I think Joss Whedon is, can perfectly handle himself in that machine, but I think from when the Avengers came out till to this film, that's a lot of years in the Marvel Universe. And I just think that he was pretty exhausted. He needed, a, he needs a reboot. You know what I mean? Yeah, he he needs something on a little smaller scale to kind of get in touch with something, you know, creator, creative, more personal. And I think that's a smarter move for him. I'm I'm hoping that the Russo brothers don't get swallowed up because they're in charge of not only the next Captain America, but the two part Avengers movie. And you're you're just you know, crossing your fingers, hoping that they'll pull it off, hoping that they won't be, uh, you know, overwhelmed by the whole experience. Well, they've proven to me that they can direct action and stuff like that. But the thing that's great about Joss Whedon's Avengers is it's his voice. And you yeah. can hear his voice there. I don't know the Russo brothers' voice. I know they're, you know, they're directing from that great Captain America movie. But who's going to write those Avengers films? You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. I mean, I know Civil War is going to be written by the same team who worked on uh, the Winter Soldier, but I I don't know about the Affinity Wars movies just yet. But that's that's a ways off anyway. Yeah, it, it's exciting. You know, I really enjoy the Marvel films. I just uh, it just be it would be a shame if these movies just take and chew up directors and spit them out. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, and, and you and you and you're definitely hoping. Uh, and and I've asked you about this on Facebook. You're definitely hoping that they avoid hitting a point of creative stagnation, like being too formulaic or something like that. And uh, I don't think they're any. They don't. See, maybe they're not in any danger of that now, but that could happen uh, kind of along the way. So I'm hoping that they make things interesting for like the next five years, because by the time. I mean, Age of Ultron kicked off what was basically, what, Phase 3 of the Cinematic Universe? Yeah. So by the time we get to the end of Infinity Wars, we'll, I'll be I'll be hitting four. – I'll be knocking on the door of Age 40. <laughs> and I am, I am just hoping that from that point onward that uh, they make smart decisions – and uh, it, it just never feels tiresome. I, I am, I am, uh, I'm sure we'll get to this when we talk about Age of Ultron. But uh, when I saw the movie and made it for the tra- trailers, I saw the Ant Man trailer, which got me 
even more excited for that movie than the previous trailer did. Right. So uh, uh, these things need to be created as an event, but they need to be part of a machine and they need to be standalone. They need to be standalone-ish in a way as well if you catch yeah, my drift. Yeah. That's what's funny about Ant-Man is because, you know, after that Edgar Wright stuff, I wondered how I'd feel when there was a Ant-Man trailer and it came out in theaters. Would I want to see this movie? And I got to hand it to him. I watched the trailer and I was like, yeah, I totally want to go see that. You know, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, it looked funny. You know, the little part with Thomas, the tank engine, the whole theater erupts with laughter. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's like, hell yeah, I want to see that. They just, they know what they're doing. Oh, yeah. All right. You want to talk some Avengers? Sure. All right. We both saw Avengers over the weekend. Yes, we did. And I was super excited to see the Avengers, and I enjoyed the Avengers. I saw it with Steven, my wife, and my daughter, and uh, we all had a good time. Theater sold out. Freaking packed to the gills. (laughs) Here's the funny thing. You know, I said it on Facebook. We got there. Or uh, Emma and I showed up first. We were going to get in line, you know, and get the prime seats. And I got there 75 minutes early. Okay? Yeah. yeah. I figured we'd be first in line, baby. No, we were in line B. (laughs) And when they start letting people in, you know, they first let line A in, and then they let line B in. And I was like, oh, come on. And my favorite place to sit on is back row center, you know, because mainly I don't like people talking behind me. It drives me yeah. insane. And when we walked in, whole top row filled. I was like, are you kidding me? All these people <laughs> sat on the top row? So we sat like dead center, good seats, except we could hear people behind us, right? Yeah. And there was even one of those people who would narrate everything to somebody like uh, oh oh i see a dog you know you would hear something <laughs> like that it's, it's, i had uh did you have assigned seats at no, your place no okay oh i've heard some people complain about that uh over you know over the weekend about going to theaters and having assigned seats i uh i went to the first 3d uh screening on a saturday and uh, had no problems getting a ticket. Had no problems finding a seat. Uh, the movie was close to being packed, but not not quite. But it's it was the Saturday. It was like you know the day after release. So uh, of course the turnout probably would have been a little bit slight. But yeah, I I sat behind someone who at one point when Thor is doing his Thor and the Avengers are having their little party and they're doing the whole thing. Who can pick up Thor's hammer? You, you. I heard someone. I swear, ask the dumbest question, which was, if Thor's hammer's so heavy, wouldn't it fall through that uh, that glass coffee table? <laughs> I'm just sitting here. Oh God, you got to be kidding me! You, do I really need to explain like you how magic it. works? <laughs> it's not. It's not, it's, it's not heavy because of how much it weighs you more on. Yeah, nobody else can pick it up. They're not yeah. worthy. Mm. You are not worthy. Yeah, I love that. That's what I love about, you know, Joss Whedon works in all the humor and the interaction of the characters. How great was the whole Captain America saying language? (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> and it just it. will not go away for him. They they would never. He 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 knew early on. Say, wow, he's never going to let let that go. They never let it go throughout the entire show. Whenever so, someone says "damn" or something, whoa, 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 be careful, Cap can hear you. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> so funny. I love that. And uh, it was just the film I thought was a lot of fun. And it hit all those notes that you love in this movie. You know, and there was a couple of those really wow moments where they're all fighting on screen at once. The yeah. thing I think is funny, much like uh, the first Avengers, is who is going to fight Earth's mightiest heroes? Because they're mighty, the mightiest heroes, right? You have to come up with a foe that's numerous where they can just just beat the crap out of dudes repeatedly and the endless waves of enemies, you know. And I, I assume that when they finally get into Thanos or Thanos, Feige or Feige, <laughs> that it will be one big dude beating the shit out of them, you know. <laughs> Oh man, uh, I, I, and I know very little about Thanos. I just know that he's an extremely overpowered character, right? And if he gets the, uh, he, he grabs like what is that? The is it the Infinity Gauntlet or that glove at the end? Or yeah, yeah. It, it, apparently, if uh, my understanding is, if he gets the stones in there. Uh, he'll be he'll, he'll be even worse. So, I'm wondering how visually they'll be able to pull it off. But I, I love that w- the mo- one of the most famous sequences of that first film. What was that that long tracking shot where you were going from one Avenger to the next? Yeah, this movie has at least one or two sequences, and one of them is that is among the very first things that you see. Yeah. Them and, jumping through the air, yeah, and it was not. It was just. It was just going. It almost felt like that light speeder chase from Revenge of the Jedi, where you'd stick with one person and then you'd move, you know, so fast into the field, uh, into the forest, and go to the next person. And the amazing thing is, you never lose a sense. While there's a whole lot of activity going on, you never lose a sense where anyone is. Uh, I mean, that must have been a nightmare to to choreograph, to visualize, and then to execute and it's it's a thrilling it's a thrilling sequence and it's like well, what like one of like four or five it, sequences in that movie yeah it felt to me also like a love letter from Joss Whedon to comic book panels of superheroes all on one giant panel fighting a bunch of bad guys at once that's what mm-hmm. it reminded me of it was like because uh, there's so many panels like that where you'll see the Avengers and they're all fighting different people all in the entire border, you know, around the border of a comic panel. And that's what it reminded me of. And it was like so much fun. I had so many like geek out moments like, oh, dude, that's awesome. You know, and I got to say the most beautiful character in the movie I thought that I loved was uh, Vision, the Vision. Yeah. By Paul Bettany. I just thought it was freaking awesome that he came to life because when you see the vision in the comic books, you're like, oh, this character won't work in a movie. It's kind of silly, you know, and he's a great character, but somehow they pulled it off and I don't know how. And it's just awesome. You know? Yeah. 
Well, Paul Bettany cool. has that kind of presence, and it feels like, and it felt, uh, and I know very little about the vision from the comics, but from the movie standpoint, it feels like this evolution of Jarvis uh, mixed with something even more powerful. But, and luckily, it's something that's a little, that's very sympathetic and very understanding of, of humanity. And, and it when he and when he finally showed up, I was very intrigued. And when they put him into the mix for that final showdown, I was just grinning from end on end, even up to his final scene with Ultron, yeah. which which was an you know an amazing little very Joss Whedon like character exchange, and uh, I, I was just I was just very surprised by by it. So uh, I, and, I love that character. And James Spader was so great as the voice of Ultron too. He was having, you could tell he was having so much fun doing that voice. Oh yeah. Uh, and, and I love that they cast him. Uh, I mean, he and Downey Jr. Jr. was kind of not part of the Brat Pack, but I mean, they figured very heavily in the eighties. Yeah. And, uh, and I love how Ultron is kind of like this yin or yang to uh, Tony Stark, he, he's like this darker version of it, and you kind of see. It, it feels like different versions of Tony Stark of the Tony Stark psyche are yeah. arguing with each other, and, and, and their scenes, their scenes together are just really good stuff. You can connect with them through a comic book level. You can connect with them with. Uh, through a familiarity of their their personas through uh, movies and TVs, I mean it just it just works on those different levels for me. I liked when he said something like, "Well, let me just stand here and tell you my whole evil plan." You know? <laughs> <laughs> I just love all that. And, uh, the way that he was kind of very he would sit th- he would stand there and talk to whoever but he also had this kind of shakiness to his temperament where he would all of a sudden get really mad uh, that's what i like to get uh, also yeah i i, I kind of like that Whedon was kind of playing around with the whole uh the bond villain that likes to monologue its heroes to death and uh, i i felt like ultron never overstayed his welcome in any of his scenes yeah he had a lot of personality yeah. And I think it was cool how they worked in, like, uh, the Falcon in there. They had, uh, you know, a War Machine in there. That was so cool. Yes. I love that there's that part where, uh, you know, Don Cheadle, he's flying in the War Machine. And he looks over and he sees the Vision, like, stick his <laughs> hand through a thing. And he was like, what the hell? What the? Who oh, the hell's man. that guy? Just ruined his moment. And they did a great uh, – the way they integrated Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch into the Avengers with that big yeah. fight was really good too, you know? Yeah, I was worried about Quicksilver because I was so taken by how they uh, how they depicted him in Days of Future Past, the X-Men movie. Right. And, and I don't know how you feel about Aaron Taylor Johnson as an actor. I, I feel – up to this point that either he's been very adequate or he just doesn't see, or I just feel very neutral. Like he doesn't seem to make much of a difference. Like I like him in kick ass, but he just filmed like a blank slate when it came to certain movies like Godzilla or savages where in Godzilla, he's not going to be the main point anyway. 
So I was worried about Quicksilver in this film on two points. How they were – they had to do something different with him visually because Days of Future Past had come out. But I was also kind of worried about how Johnson was going to pull it off uh, with his performance. And the minute he delivers his monologue to Ultron about how – about the night that his parents was mur- was killed – I was just completely sold from that point on. Like I can see where this character is coming from and I can understand his motivations. And from that point onward, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm with him. I'm kind of rooting for him and, and how he proves himself in that final, that final showdown is just nuts. Yeah. There was, there were two moments in the film where the whole audience went like this. Oh, <laughs> one involved him and you know what that is. Yeah. And the other one involved the vision where everyone went because they set it up earlier in the movie, you know, mm-hmm. and it's so funny when he uh, picks up that object and hands yeah. it, everyone in the theater goes, oh, like that. I just thought it was funny. It like everyone reacted the same in the theater. And I love moments like that where the whole audience reacts, you know, like. Oh, they understand the weight of what just happened. Yeah, they 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 go, oh, and then they're laughing. It, it's a it's amazing that uh, in the first movie, the Hulk got so much of the applause. He got like three or four moments where the audiences would just you know start applauding. Yeah, and it seems like in this movie, Thor got some of those moments. He, he got like some of the bigger moments, and that that. That moment with him and the vision, that really, really paid off. Yeah, there, there's another great moment that, uh, played for laughs where, you know, Bruce Banner as the Hulk, he feels guilty. He doesn't like what the Hulk does. You know, I imagine he just got done smashing a lot of bad guys and killing them. And, you know, he's kind of sitting there. And then Thor is like, your enemies are vanquished and they burn in hell or something like that. And he's just like looking at him like, dude, that doesn't help. <laughs> I just love that. You know, he's all pumped up about the battle, but Bruce Banner isn't. He's hard on himself. And I have no problem at all with the whole uh, uh, Black Widow and Bruce Banner stuff. I thought it was great. Give them something human to do, you know? Humans have feelings for one another. Yeah, and it would make sense that uh, Black Widow would want to have have a relationship with him because Bruce Banner is not one of these alpha male macho asshole types that the other ones and are they, they've been setting it up since the first film she thought he was incredibly interesting uh, when you go back and watch the original avengers nick fury sends her to retrieve him yeah and it it's just her who approaches him and you know there's all the operatives outside and that's mm-hmm. a but he intrigues her and he's the kind of guy who doesn't want to let anyone get close to him because he's afraid he will basically smash everything that he cares about, you know? Yeah. But I think that's interesting. It's I have no idea. I'm just barely let it kind of reach my awareness. But I know some people didn't like that because Black Widow is supposed to be involved with other characters, you know, like Captain America or Daredevil or whoever, like she doesn't have a relationship with Bruce Banner. Yeah. Again, you've got people wanting 
their version of the characters and they can't be flexible in that way. They can't understand that the movies have their own universe and the comics have their own universe. And it's, it, 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 it's just, they can't be reasoned with. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, those losers are just going to be left in the dust and there's nothing they, they can do about it. than just bitch about it. We can't worry about those dopes, right? No. And and I'm sure that you've heard about the fact that the negative – that Whedon got so many hate tweets over the weekend that he basically ended his Twitter account. He closed it up because uh, there's a lot of it – and a lot of it came from the whole – some people – at one particular point in the movie, spoilers, Black Widow is uh, – captured by Ultron and just for a small portion of the movie she's kind of holed up at his headquarters or something and for some people the whole idea of a character like that being captured and needing to be rescued that seemed like sacrilege or something and I just couldn't understand that because there's there's a world of difference between a character who is captured and you know if a character's put in that either that person can be helpless uh, but the Black Widow is never like that. She she just simply has no other options available. And yeah. she's even at one particular point, spoilers, she's even able to help the other Avengers kind of know where she is or and that she's okay. Right. The, a, a lot of people, I, I don't I don't see where they're coming through this. And uh, I think yeah. when – after Whedon left – Patton Oswald made a tweet, and I think it applies to this. There's, he said, there's basically a Tea Party like faction of liberals and progressives who have basically, basically scared off, or at least, uh, you know, they've basically, uh, you know, they basically scared off Joss Whedon from his Twitter account. Uh, scared off is probably not the best way to say it, but they've basically sent like this barrage of hate, and it's just kind of disgusted him to the point where he's basically ended his connection with social media, and it just it just sickens me. We're we're not all these filmmakers have uh, Twitter accounts. Or Facebook accounts, but the privilege of being able to speak to the creators of something that you love is is it's, it's a privilege, and there is a right and a wrong way to address them. If you want to tell them you loved it, that's fantastic. If you want to ask them a question about what they did, that's also great. If you had a problem or if you had a question, there's a right and a wrong way to do it, and. Once again, so many assholes chose the wrong way. It's just disgusting. Yeah, especially when you don't want him to think that the assholes outnumber the people who genuinely enjoy what he did. Yeah, I'm sure he doesn't. I hope he knows that. You know, it's not like the whole world's filled with assholes, you know, (laughs) because it's not like that. You know, I have no problem with what he did and. I would it, I wouldn't even get angry to mean tweet anyone so I don't know what the Yeah. Deal. Maybe well, you know he, he's taking a break after this movie anyway. He's exhausted. He didn't want to deal with it and maybe that's why he did. I I've heard of people killing their Twitter accounts before. He'll probably come back, you know. Yeah, and uh, hopefully 
I don't know. Some people just never learn, but hopefully, I didn't even. Follow I, I would like to ask that. these people: <laughs> What did you? What did you hope to gain from just piling on the hate? Did you really think that you were going to get something a little bit more constructive than basically get him to go silent? I mean, Kevin Smith once talked about, and he was quoted about this, that if you encourage an artist, that person, whether it's you know man or woman, will work harder. They'll give you, eventually they'll give you something that you love. They'll give you something that you enjoyed even more than their previous work. When you discourage an artist, you get absolutely nothing in return. Aside from just the thrill of just piling on the hate because it's so easy for someone to do from an anonymous standpoint. Yeah. What exactly did they get from that? If if you're so called, if you're fans and you feel entitled to do that, what's going on with you mentally? It's just something I can't relate to, and it just makes you wish some people just shouldn't. Breed, let alone have Twitter accounts or (laughs) internet access. What is happening? I know that there are far greater problems going on in the world, but since we're only talking about pop culture stuff, what the hell is it with these people? I don't know. It drives me nuts too. Yeah, it's it's lame. I just I got nothing but joy and fun from that film. And when it was over, we all went to Chili's for dinner. It was a great time. Mm. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I I went to a just to, to prep for the movie. I went to this uh, excellent uh, restaurant called like Slim Chickens. I don't know if there are any franchises near where you live. Were I've never heard of that. Okay, well, it basically uh, focuses on uh, it, it's kind of like Popeyes in a way. Oh, okay. where they'll give you like you know you know chicken strips that are not. They're they're uh, not breaded, but they're really grilled and they're really well seasoned. And I got me like a like a kind of a reasonable sized platter of that in French fries before I went to the show, and uh, that basically gave me the feel, you know, sort of like that to kind of celebrate. But you know, if you didn't like the movie, it's just a movie. Life will go on, and. They'll make another one, and maybe that will be the one you love. So it's just weird that people need to take it to that level. Like, what are you doing? And I think uh, more than anything, like, uh, by certain characters who live or die that don't in the comic books, is it's Marvel Studios telling you this isn't exactly the comic books. Right. We're doing something that you don't expect. So when you see the film, you're taken by surprise. It's not going to be all for the geeky guy who's like, I read the comics. I know what happens, you know, or something (laughs) like that. It's like, no, you're out of luck, dork. You know, that's. Yeah. And with this next Captain America movie, they're, they're taking inspiration from the civil war storyline, which to my recollection was very polarizing, so they have to be able to sell that. But you know that people are going to pick that apart for the ways that it diverts from the source material. But they kind of have to because they've established that the movies are their own thing and the source material is its own thing as well. So why can't people just get that into their skulls? I'm I'm super excited for that Captain America movie and just, hey, whatever they put in front of me i'll watch and uh 
I don't give a shit what was in the comic books. <laughs> and I enjoyed comic books back in the day. I don't really read them anymore. I probably would if uh, I could afford it. But, you know, yeah. did you know Marvel has this thing now where it's like Netflix where you could, like, read their comics every month on your tablet? No. And you just pay a certain amount a year? Uh, that might be kind of fun to do for a year just to see. You can read their archives, too. You don't have to just read new issues. You can go through, like, on your iPad or whatever. Wow. It's, it's no, a neat idea I, because I, I know that, that I could not catch up on any of those runs. <laughs> if I started – if I went to the comic book store, there's no way I could catch up on things. Like, uh, give me all the Civil War comics. You know, it probably – I mean, I know they have trade paperbacks, but those get pretty expensive expensive too you know yeah i basically just borrow them from the public library up here they have a they have a pretty big collection of uh trade paperbacks oh that's cool i didn't even think about that i I wouldn't mind knowing more about the civil war storyline yeah but uh, i thought avengers was a lot of fun i enjoyed it and you know what i had that feeling when it was over where like shit i gotta come see this again (laughs) you know i want to see it over again yeah, and it was equal parts uh, very thrilling, but also moving. And I, in thinking about it over the weekend, I was very impressed by the way that it addressed the idea of superheroes who realize that they can't do this forever. There needs to be an exit strategy. And I remember when Dark Knight Rises oh, yeah. came out that that's the, the story of that movie kind of dealt with a Batman or a Bruce Wayne that knew he, could, he can't continue the fight forever and he needed an exit strategy, only he didn't have one. And one of the most surprising things about this movie is the way that these characters can see a window of opportunity of when they can step away and maybe they feel that they can because there's no one else left to fight but without giving anything away by the end of this movie the status quo for the avengers have changed somewhat and some of the characters go off on their own uh paths that feels like they can finally walk away if they can we 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 hope that they come back in future installments but uh, especially with the subplot regarding Hawkeye and his family. Right. But I, I think that that aspect of the story was handled so well. And maybe that's why it appealed to Whedon. Maybe that's why Whedon felt he could tell a story about knowing when to walk away from a big fight, right. which paralleled with his walking away from the Marvel Cinematic Universe, at least for the time being, if, also, if it feels that way. Uh, Captain America also, he thinks like if there wasn't something to fight, what the hell would he do? He was basically built to fight wars. Yeah. And what is he going to have in life if he doesn't have anything to fight? And it it's almost like he prefers, he wants to keep the peace, but if there was peace, he would have nothing to do. Yeah. You know? Uh, that's an interesting uh, thing he's dealing with there, too. They give him each different things they're dealing with. Yeah. Which I thought was really cool. And I love the way it sets up uh new characters and training and that kind of thing which i assume will lead into the next captain america yeah and and, and spoiler alert for the movie uh i kind of loved how uh, one of the ways that it dealt with characters is by having the scarlet witch implant these 
dream sequences or these visions of uh, for each of the characters that she manages to affect. And I love the fact that Captain America got to finally, in a way, have his dance with Peggy. Yeah. And uh, I just thought that was awesome. And it affected all the characters. I love how it affected the characters differently. Like, for Stark, it it provided like a sense of fear in him that inspired him to, to make Ultron for Thor. It was, it was so weird, but it gave him a vision that he interpreted as something that he should look into a little bit further. And I, and I don't even want to spoil what it did for Hawkeye, but it was awesome. (laughs) Yeah, totally. And you know, what's funny. Um, Remember when the first teaser came out and people were like, okay, here's frame-by-frame stills of the trailer. Who are these people in the background and stuff like that? When you finally see the movie, you realize just how silly those things are, aren't they? Where they're trying to figure out who this person staying in the background is. Because none of it even matters before you have the story, you know? (laughs) Or before it has a... uh, a reason for that character to exist and being there, just having a picture of someone in the background, it's like, who is this person? What do they, what purpose do they serve? And it just is silly, but I guess that's what we're into now where people anticipate, you know, with you know, the same thing will happen with star Wars, you know, just yesterday, you know, because of may the 4th, they released some star Wars stills and it's just like, oh, look at all these creatures in this picture. I don't know. Did you see any of those? The Annie Leibovitz pictures? Yeah. Uh, apparently, Vanity Fair has an issue coming out tomorrow uh, that's going to have like a cover story, a pictorial, if you will, of uh, certain characters uh, from the from the upcoming movie. And apparently, it's been uh, uh, official that... If you're watching Game of Thrones like I am and you're familiar with the character of Brienne, the uh-huh. actress that plays her, Gwendolyn Christie, plays that chrome-plated uh, star, uh, stormtrooper that we've been seeing in these uh, teasers so far. So that's that's awesome. Yeah, what is her name? Chasma or something like that? Yeah, it, like Phasma, I think. Phasma, it's, it, it. it seems like, yeah, it seems like, uh, I don't know, it's like, General Phasma or something like that. (laughs) She looks totally awesome. Yeah. And uh, that got me excited because she's she's awesome on Game of Thrones. Yeah. And, you know, it's there are characters on Game of Thrones where when it cuts to their storyline, I'm like, oh, cut back to the other person. You know, sometimes I get like that. And she's one character they never show enough of when they show her. It's just a few minutes and then it moves on to somebody else, but it almost wishes they give her more to do. You know what I mean? That's how good she is in that. Oh yeah. And uh, by the way, you saw the movie in 3d, right? Yes. Did you get to see the star Wars teaser in 3d? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that sold me for the 3d version of that movie. I was like, I'm going to have to see this in 3d now. (laughs) We saw not only that, you know, I watched the trailer, I, I'm not kidding, probably 20 times or whatever, the Star Wars yeah. trailer online. But seeing it in the theater, when it came on, I was like, oh, yeah, the, uh, yeah, it makes sense they would show this. And when it was, you know, when they did the Chewy, we're home, you know, people started clapping, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's like, this is a trailer before the movie and people are clapping. And it was really cool. 
And uh, in fact, when the Avengers ended in the opening, you know, in the closing credits, everyone started clapping. Yeah. Uh, by the way, uh, the character she's playing is Captain Phasma. Captain Phasma. And Captain I, Phasma. I assume she's a badass. I I would assume so. She's got a big freaking uh, like assault rifle in that teaser <laughs> teaser image. She's probably some but kind of uh, but apparently they've identified uh, Adam Driver as that uh, Kylo Ren character, the yes. one with the the badass lightsaber. Yeah, it showed him in the black outfit without the mask on. It was like, well, that makes sense. That's where everyone thought it was. I was yeah. hoping he wasn't the bad guy. I don't know why, but you know. He is. He's the bad guy, I assume. He's misunderstood. All those Sith guys are just misunderstood. <laughs> Hopefully he'll he'll get a little bit more screen time than uh, Darth Maul did. Yeah, totally. That's what, you know, in the, um, the Clone Wars that I'm watching right now, there's Darth Maul stuff. And it's almost like they're making up for the lack of characterization in the films. Like they're giving background and stuff. And it's just like, oh, dude, that's awesome. Making <laughs> him interesting, you know? Yeah. That's what I love, that kind of stuff. But, dude, I'm so fired up for Star Wars and uh, the book that comes out called Aftermath that's supposed to be post-Return of the Jedi, and it's going to set up the movie. I can't wait to read that Like as soon as it comes out in September. I'm excited, man. Yeah, I'm going to have to check that out when it comes out, too. Not to mention, I mean, if we're going to be excited, we're excited about films, of course, Mad Max is coming up this month. Oh, my God, it's less than two weeks away. And, you know, Heather was like, do you think we should take Emma to see that? And I'm like... You know, it is rated R. You know, yeah. I know it doesn't look like it's rated R from the trailer. It looks like a crazy movie. We don't see any blood or anything, but I'm going to say no. We're not going to take her. <laughs> has, has she seen anything R-rated? Um, God, I'd really have to think about that. Uh, I don't think so. Not, I don't think she's ever really sat down and watched a rated R film. Mm-hmm. And we don't make her watch anything she doesn't want to. If she were to say, can I watch this with you guys? I would probably say yes and let her sit with us and I would let her ask me any questions. But if she's like, no, I don't want to watch that, then I won't make her or anything. Um, like, I'm not going to sit down and say, do you want to watch The Road Warrior <laughs> to see if you would like this? Because... I know it's a violent film, and there's uh, depictions of bad things in the Road Warrior, and I don't. Think yeah. Even though when I saw it, I think I was ten years old, and she's eleven. But I don't know. It's kind of weird. If she w- wanted to watch it, I might say, "Okay, I'll let me sit here with you and answer any questions you have." You know. Right. But she's more into like you know she has gotten into Back to the Future. And she'll watch those films. Uh, like I said, Star Wars. She loved the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies. Mm-hmm. Um, but mostly she likes her stuff. You know, the Lego movie or Pixar films and things like that. So she hasn't watched a lot of real, like, uh, live-action movies. <laughs> right. Well, give her some time. I guess she'll she'll come around eventually. <laughs> I'd say the worst is she wants to see Pitch Perfect 2 with her mom. So. <laughs> of course. Like, I don't know if I want to see that movie. but Yeah, but, uh, yeah, Mad Max, uh, you obviously seen the latest trailer, right? 
Um, is that the one where it kind of sets them up and Charlie's Theron into the truck? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's and amazingly enough, we're, they haven't really as much imagery as it's thrown at us, and it's just basically shot from this and a shot from that. I'm curious what that's going to look like in context. Right, what right. these chases are going to look like, and it's 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 amazing. I remember Drew McWeeny writing about the Road Warrior. He talked about that one stunt from the Road Warrior where it, it was a stunt that went wrong, but it looked awesome. Where a character was thrown from a car, and he's basically somersaulting in the air. Right, yeah. That not only did that character survive that stunt, that character became the vehicle stunt coordinator for this movie and while technology has obviously there's going to be some cg in fury road but i'm willing to bet it's going to be pretty seamless and you're going to see a lot of really bad things happen to those marauders and uh, also to max and his allies so it it just makes me wonder what are these sequences going to look like uh, oh, not not just seeing like subliminal shots. What are they going to look like from moment to moment? And there's something there's something exciting about that. There um, there was like an interesting uh, when the Road Warrior came out here in America. You know, it was Mad Max two everywhere else, but in America yeah. it was Road Warrior two. Because I don't think they they wanted to just sell the movie on being a great action movie. They didn't care if anyone had seen Mad Max. <laughs> right. Uh, but I remember when that film came out, my mom, you know, I said, Mom, I want to go see that. She was like, no, you, you're not old <laughs> enough to see that. It's rated R. Um, and my parents were divorced at the time. We lived here in Texas. My dad lived in California. When we visited my dad during the summertime, uh, my mom passed away that summer. I'm not trying to make every, anything sad or anything. Right. But, you know, it was sad. But my dad, from us just visiting him in California, became we're staying with him when we were going to live there with him. And I'll never forget. Uh, I don't know what it was about the road where I remember the commercials. You could see Mel Gibson as Max. There's a part where he's sitting in the, the semi and he's got the shotgun, he opens it up, and then he closes it. And it's something that imagery as a kid was like, oh, that is so badass. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and uh, I'll never forget, it, I don't know if um, in Westwood, California, where all the big theaters are in Hollywood, uh, they were showing The Road Warrior in this big movie house. And um, it was up for... Um, I'm trying to think of what the term was for consideration in sound editing achievement or something. And it was being shown there. So I guess people who voted on that maybe for the Oscars or something would go and see the film there. So my dad was like, Hey, would you like to go see a film called the road warrior? And I was like, are you kidding? (laughs) And I was like, "Uh, mom would never let me watch this. You know? (laughs) So we went and saw that in the theater and you know, it starts out with the, uh, little four by three box. It's a square you yeah. know, of the, uh, 
my life fades. The vision dims. And, you know, there's the thing about how the world went to war and all that mattered was the fuel and all that. And then it, the camera pulls out of the blower on Max's uh, V8. And yeah. it, it's widescreen and the sound was deafeningly loud. I'll just never forget that moment, you know. Like, it was like, holy shit, this is the way a movie should be viewed. And um, that, much like Return of the Jedi, was like this defining movie experience of how you should see a film and the production value and the sound and all that. And it kind of ruins you to mall cinemas at the time when you go to the mall to see a movie and it's this tiny rinky-dink theater. But um, I was obsessed with The Road Warrior. And I remember when it came on cable years later on HBO recorded it on VCR and I'd watch it over and over again. And then, uh, you know, years later, the HD DVD players came out and I'll never forget watching. <laughs> I got the road warrior for the HD DVD player. <laughs> oh, and, I got it too. And, um, it's just a film that I love so much and I watched repeatedly. And there was something about max. I loved his character and, you know, I eventually saw Mad Max, the the first one on cable, then eventually on that on DVD. And uh, I'll never forget, you know, the anticipation for Beyond Thunderdome was pretty over the top. I mean, if you can imagine how much I like the road where I was like, oh, my God, Beyond Thunderdome. And you can imagine. <laughs> I just feel sorry for me now thinking about it when I saw the freaking beyond thunderdome which i will give it this much i will watch it whenever it's on but the road warrior ruined me for beyond thunderdome let's face it it, that whole part where they go and visit the kids and this strange uh i'm saying is it's not as good as a road warrior okay yeah yes we get the chase at the end but it's kind of like thrown in there for hey road warrior fans check this out that's what it feels like but i I, it's i was disappointed by beyond thunderdome let's just leave it that okay but when now i watch the trailer to fury road it looks like Jason, this is the sequel you've been waiting for for Road Warrior. This is like Road Warrior Extreme, you know what I mean? It's like this is what George Miller needed to make after Road Warrior, but he waited a long time to do it, you know? So needless to say, I'm really effing excited about Mad Max Fury Road. I mean, yeah, it's not Mel Gibson, but I got over that a long time ago. Yeah, and uh, to not dwell into Beyond Thunderdome for too long, the thing that really led me down for that movie, other than that weird-ass second act involving the kids, (laughs) is that I never felt that the villains were threatening at all. Whereas in Road Warrior, Warrior, they're terrifying. Because you know what's going to happen. Oh, yeah, (laughs) those freaking uh, people outside the compound in the Road Warrior, they're weird they're rapists. Yeah. They will slaughter you. They'll rape your corpse and they'll steal your gasoline. You know, they're terrifying. Yeah. And uh, beyond Thunderdome, you know, there's a bunch of little kids and God bless Maurice Jar and his film soundtracks and stuff. Mm-hmm. But that, you know, when they show the little kids and it's just like, what the hell movie am I watching? Right. <laughs> what the hell happened to Mad Max? This is kind of like a subdued laid back Max. This isn't Mad Max. And 
I don't. Uh, uh, yeah, I could talk about Beyond Thunderdome a long time. You know, I like I said, I'll watch it whenever it's on. And I'll even say, "Tun Tun, play something tragic or whatever." <laughs> I watched that repeatedly on cable when I was a kid. But at the same time, I would go like, "Dude, what the hell happened? What is this film?" And yeah. I was even thinking about like, um, you know, because I do the Chuck. Uh, series companion i'm re-watching all the episodes just yesterday i watched season two episode one of chuck right and right. you remember when morgan gets left when it's left up to morgan how to choose the new assistant manager do you remember what he does i don't know if you remember way back in season two um not right off the bat, no. It, uh, there's a part where Chuck goes, well, Morgan, I have the utmost confidence that Morgan can handle this. And then it cuts to the back room of the Bymore, and he goes, this is Thunderdome! And you show <laughs> Jeff and Lester on, like, these uh, bungee cords. <laughs> and oh, they're in this yeah. cage, and everyone's cheering, and they're basically going to fight to the death. And I was just like, the Thunderdome, after that movie, has been in so many things commercials or whatever there's this thunderdome thing it just became part of the what is the word the lexicon the everything it just got sucked into the vortex where everyone knows what thunderdome is it's yeah. a ridiculous film you know but that is an effective scene when he sees that that uh, uh blaster is this special person you know and he can't kill him that always gets me that part yeah this wasn't part of the deal. <laughs> Who runs Barter Town? Who runs Barter Town? Yeah, I've seen that movie too many times. But <laughs> but I'm super excited about Mad Max Fury Road. It yeah, they, I mean uh, me to get back point. to the <laughs> <laughs> to get back to the point. The the, the villains look terrifying. They look even yeah. fearless than they did in the Road Warrior, and apparently they're not afraid. To, to I mean to kill themselves in order to make life hell for uh, uh, Furiosa and uh, Max and those girls that she's uh, that she's yeah. uh, trying to escort. And you know what I noticed, like in the stills of the picture, those women are wearing chastity belts. Have you yeah. noticed that? Yeah, I did. So okay, they're the property of the bad guy, and none of those other shaved head dudes are probably allowed to touch them. You know, mm-hmm. they're his brides or whatever, and I assume they run off with them, and that's why they're all going after them. But um, it's just like you know, in the Road Warrior, it was this very simple storyline. It was uh, these people in this compound with fuel, and had these savages trying to get to them, and they needed somebody to help them get out of the situation they were in. Yeah, so the, the the prize this time is not fuel. Apparently, it's it's uh, it's these women, which uh, gives it like a weird charge because the Mad Max movies, even the ones with, that you know we love or prefer, they don't have that huge. They don't have a lot of they don't have a lot of females involved, and this one really ups the ante uh, on that on the female quotient. Right, right, totally. Like the Road Warrior, there's uh, there's a few women in there. They don't have big roles or anything right i always had such this affection for the mad max films especially the first and second one you know i grew to love the first one I remember when you first watch it, you're like this is a strange movie you know mm-hmm. the way they talk and everything but the more you watch it the you really get into it like i love that moment in the first one where you know after max's 
wife and child have been killed. I think they're going to use parts of his wife for donors or something. Yeah. And uh, they show Max. He just walks into the distance in the garage and he kind of disappears, like fades away. And then his car comes out like, and uh, he, that part is like really powerful. I think where now he's mad Max and he's going to get revenge. And I just think it's awesome. Yeah. I, I, I remember the first time I saw a world warrior, it was on TV late at night and all, and you know that chase sequence and everything, but I'm never going to forget how how amazing that twist at the end was when he realizes that the tanker was carrying sand. Right. And I was just, holy crap! All of that was basically a diversion. That's nuts. Yeah, he is the diversion. The diversion. Yeah, and I. There's moments in that are fantastic, too. You know, we've got these guys all over the truck and everything. I love that moment where he stands up out of the cab with his double-barrel shotgun and shoots through the windshield. And you just see the head, like, the blood spray on the windshield, you know? And the <laughs> yeah. little feral kid is like, ha, 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 ha. Like, <laughs> I freaking love it, man. God, I love that movie. Seen it yeah. way too many times. But having it on Blu-ray is so awesome. I just George Miller was one of my favorite filmmakers for a long time, and you know he made the Babe Pig in the City, or you know Babe, and then he made the Happy Feet, and I was just like, well, he'll never make a movie like Mad Max again, and I yeah. was totally wrong. Yeah, this was like what almost like thirty years in Wade, and you, you hope that when when a filmmaker returns to something to a property that he hasn't done. In like decades or so, like when Spielberg made another Indiana Jones movie, you pray that you you want him to capture to keep the lightning in the bottle kind of like feeling, but you also have to accept the fact that these filmmakers are different people now. That they probably don't make films the same way that they used to, and we were we felt let down after King of the Crystal Skull, but it feels like Miller has lost none of his energy yeah. for for uh fury road because it's it's been gestating inside his mind for the greater part of a decade now and do you think warner brothers is kicking themselves over remember he was going to make a justice league movie yeah i would be kicking myself or i'd be trying to get him <laughs> back now like you know you could always come back and do one you know yeah not interested. They need to get George Miller to do that Star Wars anthology. <laughs> that would be wild. Totally awesome. Before we leave, uh, would you want to give your thoughts about the, uh, I'm not calling it Batman v Superman, the Dawn of Justice trailer that came out? The Dawn of Justice trailer. Okay. Um yeah, they put out like a teaser. They put out like a teaser that was a little over two minutes, uh, and it was it was kind of re- released to the. It was kind of leaked onto the internet like two weeks ago. It was like that weekend, and uh, Zack Snyder then officially released it like over the weekend. It was supposed to come out on April the twentieth, I believe. Yeah, and then after it leaked. Snyder said, "I'll oh, screw it," and just put it out. I think I think it was like that Saturday. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was supposed to premiere on Monday in IMAX theaters or something. Mm-hmm. Which I think is weird. Like, I don't think I care enough to go see, go to a theater to watch a trailer. 
maybe a Star Wars film, but nothing else. <laughs> yeah, do, do you remember when um, people would go see a movie if a certain trailer? I mean, like I heard that people did that for the Phantom Menace trailer. Yeah, for uh, they went to Wing Commander to watch the Phantom. <laughs> <laughs> But they didn't stay for the movie. Yeah, I can't. I can't imagine doing that. Uh, but um, but the trailer came. The teaser came out, and it's it's a little bit of a taste. But I. But again, I I'm wondering if it's focusing on the wrong wrong thing because um, the the whole the uh, Batman and Superman going to have to have this clash ideology but we don't know exactly what it is they're going to be and while Snyder is evoking imagery from the Dark Knight Returns he's not telling that story and yeah. why should he because that's Batman and Superman at different points in their life and why would you follow up Man of Steel with the story that has a very hostile take on Superman uh, Frank Miller ne- does not like Superman that's something I've I've grown to understand reading either The Dark Knight or The Dark Knight Strikes Again or All-Star Batman and Robin. He hates that character. Yeah, well, it comes off as Batman doesn't like that character. You know, or yeah. doesn't like Superman. But uh, but he's Dark never – but in, in those three books that I've mentioned, he's, he's always portrayed Superman as this impotent – puppet for the government and, and and yes it's 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 basically how batman doesn't like him but i mean miller just never seems to want to to give him any slack so um i'm just you know obviously and we'll get we'll get some more teasers out of the way but it gives you just this little bit of a taste of, I mean, any particular footage I'm kind of salivating over, but we need, I, I need to know exactly what it is that they're going to be yeah, fighting over. What's the real threat going to be and where the hell is Wonder Woman? That's what I'm, <laughs> that's what it I'm was asking. definitely. Here's the thing that I don't get about the whole versus thing is we know that Batman and Superman aren't enemies. Right. So for part of the movie they will be, but eventually they won't be. So why even call it that? <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm, I'm beginning to wonder uh, by having Lex Luthor in the film. Maybe that's his master plan, not to have some stupid uh, real estate land grab like he has in the Donner <laughs> movies. His plan is to ruin Superman's reputation by maybe maybe kind of adding more fuel to the fire of uh, people mistrusting him. I mean, Jonathan Ken in Man of Steel was right. When Superman announces himself to the world, it's going to change a lot of things, but not everyone's going to be willing to accept him. So if Luther is able to help spin the idea that Superman is more harmful than good and and that kind of feeds into Batman's paranoia. We don't know wh- where Batman is at this point in his life, uh, but uh, it- it's it- it's kind of addressing uh, what Superman did at the end of Man of Steel and right. uh, how is he going to fit in at the, this particular point. So we-, we don't know the whole story yet, and I'm kind of intrigued, but I, I- – I'm like my brother after he saw the first Force Awakens trailer. I need to see a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, 
I honestly, when I saw it, I was like, okay, um, okay. I really don't know anything <laughs> yet. I just, I don't know. I, I mean, the imagery of Superman sitting, uh, the imagery of his cape flowing as he's just sitting still in midair is yeah. very powerful. You know, he's kind of, you know, and I like the, it says false God and all that stuff. Yeah. I, I get nothing from Ben Affleck Batman because he's given nothing to do, but, you know, that shows he's Batman. He, they're not showing him do anything yet in the trailer, so uh, we don't know anything. Uh, so, really, it's just, it's a teaser. <laughs> yeah, it, it's nothing more than that, but, um. You know, like. Uh, you know, you watch The Force Awakens, I felt emotion and stuff. From this, I didn't feel anything, just curiosity. Yeah. And I know well, that, you know, they they want to do an Aquaman movie. They want to do uh, a Wonder Woman movie. Uh, how are they going to all spin this off in the same universe? I don't know. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I wish them nothing but the best. I just, all I know, you know, Man of Steel, I enjoyed it, and I know a lot of people hated it. Even now, I see people still hate Zack Snyder, but I, mm-hmm. I had a good time with it. Yeah, oh, well, I love it. It's my favorite. It's my favorite Superman movie so far, and uh, and of course, every time a Marvel movie comes out, people are going to reference Man of Steel and say, "Well, see." This is how you do a Superman movie, and I even when Age of Ultra had come out, there was like one or two reviews that read that way, and it's just a, such a lazy thing to deal with. But again, like I said before, people unable to wrestle with the fact that their their own preferable interpretation of the character is not what's on screen, and I was just thinking, just you know, just move on with your life or something. I, I, I don't know what else to tell you. I thought, I thought Man of Steel was a, a, an excellent, an excellent take on the character. And, um, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that they keep the ball rolling with these, these next films. Uh, I so wish, yeah, I hope I like the idea of DC and Marvel films and I hope they kick ass and yeah. Why, why would you want DC films to fail? Why do you feel the need to pick a side? This whole make mine Marvel thing. It's stupid. It's like team Edward and team Jacob from the twilight <laughs> film stuff. Uh, well, I, yeah, I, I don't even, get it. When I was a kid, it was the same way. It was like, are you Marvel or DC? It's like, well, I read both. Right. What? <laughs> I like Batman Brave and the Bulls. I love that comic where it teamed him up with people, but I also love Marvel. I love Spider-Man and Captain America and all that. It's, you can read both. And I don't even want DC to copy Marvel films. I want them to have their own look and everything. And that's one thing you can say about that from that trailer. That film looks it has its own look. Yeah. Uh Batman v Superman. Mhm. It's still not a great title, though. <laughs> no, they should have just called it Dawn of Justice and kept it at that. Um, yeah, I like that powerful image of the Superman logo, then the bat kind of over it. Yeah. I, I like that. That's a good logo. Yeah, uh, my my fingers are forever crossed for it. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, I guess we'll see. I just need to see more, damn it. And I have <laughs> yeah. to wait another freaking year. Yeah, I know. I wonder when the next trailer will come out. A full uh, trailer. 
It'll probably be yeah, a like while. maybe the end of the summer or maybe early fall. Who knows? I just want them before they greenlight any of these movies. I want them to all sit and watch Green Lantern again and go, okay, don't do this. <laughs> <laughs> Do not do Green Lantern. Yeah. Wow. How did they mess that up so bad? I don't know. It's. I'm sure they went into it with great intentions, and I, and I like um, what's his name, the guy who directed it, Martin uh, Campbell. Yeah, Martin. I mean, he, Martin Campbell. He's a fantastic director. He revitalized the Bond franchise twice. Yeah, it was like, oh, this is going to be good. Martin Campbell. Come on. Yeah, I, I'm now, guessing they just went with the wrong villain, and it, it was just it, it was an uneasy mix of humor that was hit and miss, and this really intense villain character that i mean you just had people getting wasted here and there it it, it just feels like <laughs> an uneven misfire even if there's things about it that i could like like i love uh i like hal jordan meeting all the other guardians and you know sinestro yeah, and love, stuff like that it's 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 the goofiest stuff. kind of imagery but it needs to be that way the villain stuff was terrible the, yeah, in the big cloud in the sky. <laughs> yeah, the, the the big poo cloud in the sky. Yeah. Yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Adam. Before we go, I have two voicemails I want to play, and I've had them for a while, so I figured it'd be good to play those on this show, and so our listeners don't think I've forgotten about them. Right. I have a voicemail from Rick. And one from Jim from Massachusetts. And I'd like to play those. First, let's check out uh, Rick's voicemail and see what he's up to. Hey guys, it's Rick again. So what's been going on, guys? You all good? (laughs) I'm just driving home. I thought I'd leave you a voicemail. Um, What's been going on with me? I just recently got the Australian version of Netflix. Uh, I'd never got any Netflix before. I was just pirating everything, uh, being bad. (laughs) And I thought, you know what? It's time to stop that. It's time to actually be a contributing member of society. And uh, I'm really enjoying it. The first month is free, and uh, I think I'm going to stick around because I'm just scrolling through what's on offer. And uh, there's just too many to watch now. I've got unlimited... Oh, it's great. So I've watched all of Daredevil, and I highly recommend it. Uh, it was awesome. a lot of fun. Uh, I, the main guys in it, they were very likable, so it made it easy to watch. And, uh, yeah, I would just get it, get on board Daredevil, because uh, I want there to be a second season, because it, it kind of... Good news. Would be fun to see more of that character. Anyway, uh, great show, guys. Just a show one. Keep up the good work. I love you guys. And uh, that's all I've got to say about it. <laughs> Keep up the good work, guys. It's freaking great. Awesome. Thanks, Rick. That's awesome. He got Australian Netflix. It's apparently the same stuff. Yeah, I don't know if you'll you'll ever do this on Netflix. I have to know what I want to watch before I even turn on Netflix, because I will sit and just scroll through things and look up, and I've been doing it for an hour and not watched anything. 
Like I'll just be like looking, panning to the left, to the right, down, looking at each thing. I'll read synopsis. And then I'm just like, God, I haven't watched anything. I'm just sitting here reading stuff. It's insane. I, I, I do that as well. I, I don't use my computer to watch Netflix. I'll always turn on like my PS3 or my PS4 and uh, watch it through the app there. But I've never – I've always used my computer to uh, browse and uh, add more titles to my queue and stuff right. like that. Yeah, I uh, watch it on Xbox, Xbox One. Mm. And uh, do you have the stream only plan, or do you still get discs? I still get discs, and uh, uh, I don't see that don't see that changing anytime soon. I, 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 there's there's no, there's really not much of a rental service in my area. Basically, all the franchises have closed down, so right. this is my only option for discs at this point. Yeah, I only I have stream only and. Uh, you know, Bill and I kind of talked about this. If I'm going, to, if I really want to see something, I will buy it on Amazon and stream it on the Xbox One Amazon app or yeah. DirecTV Video on Demand. That's like the only way. I like don't get discs anymore. I'll buy yeah. them. Uh, it's funny. Like the last, you know, things I got to, you know. Captain America, Winter Soldier, Guardians of the Galaxy, and X-Men, Days of Future Past are like my uh, most recent Blu-rays, and that's usually how it works. Movies that I really liked a lot that I know I'm going to watch multiple times, you know? Yeah. But I understand. Really cool. That's really cool, Rick. Uh, thank you for that voicemail. And we have another voicemail, this one from Jim. Let's check it out. Hey, Jason. This is uh, Jim from Massachusetts, and I'll be completely honest with you, I don't know if this is exactly a voicemail you're going to want to play on the air, but I know you're always looking for feedback, and you would like to know, you know, the enjoyment that people get out of your show and what it means to them, and I've been debating on sending this voicemail for a while now, but uh, I just wanted to let you know that uh, I live in Massachusetts, actually in the Berkshires. And my son, who is 18 months old, he uh, he has lung disease, and we have to make you know weekly and biweekly trips to Boston Children's Hospital. <clears throat> and I just wanted to tell you that you know when I drive there with him, it's about a three-hour drive, and there is nothing better than being able to get in the car early in the morning on you know whatever day we have to go there. And just listening to your show, and it makes me laugh. It makes me forget, you know, even if just for, you know, an hour with the Chuck Series companion or an hour and a half to even the much-appreciated three-hour episodes of your podcast. And it just it gives me, you know, time to just kind of let myself go and laugh, even if something is ridiculous and hysterical as a CGI Florence Henderson or something <laughs> as enjoyable as listening to an episode of Chuck that you watched recently that you just so enjoy and have such passion about. You know, you don't, when you have a sick child and you have to drive there and just watch them go through one test after another and all this other stuff for hours on end, it's nice having the ability to drive and listen to something that just makes you forget about all that and just laugh and just enjoy it. You know, and again, I don't know if this is 
exactly the voicemail you want to play in the show. And if you do, by all means, I have no problems with it. And, you know, if it makes people that listen to the show just want to send more feedback, you know, that's great. But uh, you do a heck of a job, and I love listening to the show, do all of the podcasts you put out. And, again, you know, we're moving to Florida mostly for him. And I can't wait to listen to the episodes I have been putting on the back burner. And um, can't wait to listen to them. And you guys do a hell of a job. And you, Bill, Steven, all of you, you do awesome. So just keep up the good work. Keep putting those shows out. You make me laugh. You make uh, my wife laugh. And it's great. So I will talk to you later. And, you know, once again, I know I've repeated it, but keep up the good work. You do great. All right? Thanks. Wow, thanks a lot, Jim. I really appreciate that. Of course I would play that voicemail. Um, that's awesome. Uh, that the show- yeah. Our, uh, our, 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 uh, our prayers and our thoughts are with you and your family. Hopefully things improve for your, uh, for your child. Absolutely. And I'm glad that the show kind of uh, entertains you and gets to... Uh, take your mind off things because i can only imagine that having a daughter and i just uh my thoughts are with you and uh you know you sent me another voicemail that will be played on the chuck show but i think you've already been on that drive and you listened to all 13 episodes on that trip and <laughs> that's awesome and i hope you enjoyed that and uh thank you so much and i realized after listening to this i need to get this show out to you so you have uh, another show to listen to and that means a lot to me because um, I want to keep putting these shows out for people who um, listen to them. And that means a lot to me, Jim. Thank you very much for that voicemail. Yeah, and, and to echo some of his sentiments, uh, listening to that show it just really helps you with difficult periods of your time. And in my case, uh, difficult periods have been mostly these long winded work nights where i mean you i'm gonna have uh, have one have a night where i'm there for anywhere from 10 to 11 hours because i've had to cover for someone who couldn't make it or someone made a mistake and having podcasts including the ones that you do uh jason really helps that really helps that night go by a whole lot better and uh like like jim said uh thank you for all that you do and man keep up the good work that's awesome thank you you're welcome welcome. i'm glad somebody likes listening to him (laughs) it's funny with the chuck one i'm like is anyone gonna want to listen to this (laughs) because well they should Oh, well, thank you. I'm just like, uh, is this for me more than anyone else? (laughs) But I'm having a lot of fun uh, doing that. And I'm just so excited to start on season two. And I can't wait to do that. I'll probably record that one tomorrow. Yeah, I I will need to, when you finally get to Chug versus the Santa Claus, I'm going to need to send you a voicemail ahead of time. Okay. Because that's that's still, I don't know why, it's still a big episode for me as far as that series is concerned absolutely you know chuck versus tom sawyer and chuck versus the santa claus are two of my favorite episodes in season two yeah and steven made me so happy on friday because you know i loaned him season one and two on blu-ray a long time ago he returned season one and i would say so you enjoying season two he goes oh i haven't started it yet (laughs) so you know a couple of months have passed i'm like he's never gonna friggin' watch it 
And we are sitting in the theater waiting for Ultron to start. And he goes, uh, yeah, uh, I was watching that episode, Chuck versus Tom Sawyer. And I was like, oh, really? You're watching it? <laughs> like, we started talking about Chuck. And I was like, dude, you made me so happy right now. <laughs> I figured you were never going to start season two. But he started rolling it. I I kept telling him, like, once you get started on season two, you'll blow right through that. Because it's such a fun season. Yeah, it is. And, yeah, I can't wait to get up to Chuck versus the Santa Claus. <laughs> I have some favorite moments in that episode and just I've watched it's, it's so strange I've watched it so many times but at the same time when episode starts I'm like oh this is that episode and I get like all excited over again I don't know what it is I don't get tired of it yeah and uh, and one of the things that I've found interesting about that podcast is while I'm trying to after I finished it, I needed to the, the to watch other series. Like right now, I'm still trying to make it through season one of Fringe when I'm not watching like Game of Thrones or something like that. And listening to the podcast, it's like I can. It's like I'm reliving the series in a way. Do the way that you you recap the episodes that you put together the sound clips, and I can kind of see the imagery in my mind and you know relive those moments over and over again. So. It's it's kind of a weird uh, time traveling trip for me, That's despite awesome. the fact that it only happened within the last five or six months or so. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, it's it's kind of fun. I guess it is. It's the same thing as like nostalgia, like something that brought you joy and you can relive it, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And it's funny. I watched that uh, that video I sent you was uh, a leaked video from Comic Con. For season two of Chuck, like uh, I snuck this into the the auditorium and I, you know, video taped this, uh, you know, trailer they showed for season two. Check it out. And I watched that and just hearing the crowd like excited and cheering over it. Mm-hmm. I was just like, damn, that makes me excited to watch season two again. You know, <laughs> there was a time where all the episodes weren't available to watch at once. You had to wait like entire summers or maybe like five to six months before another episode would happen. So it's kind of funny to remember that. Yeah. But Adam, I want to thank you so much for joining me today on the show. It was awesome to uh, get to do a show with you and talk about all the stuff. Yeah, it, it was. Uh, it's an honor to be on here again. I, I thought it would be ages before it would ever happen again. And I know you've tried to uh, get other uh, members from the the fan base to kind of join you. Like I'm still waiting for the eventual Rick episode, and uh, maybe maybe you can get some. Maybe you can get Ross on here, or yes, maybe I, you can get Adam again. Uh, I'm waiting to get Ross on the show. I've talked to him a couple of times, and I'll get him on the show. Yeah, I need to get on my show as well because I've I've procrastinated on that thing long enough. <laughs> I'm still I'm still uh, trying to uh, find a comfortable spot where I could say, you know what, on this solo episode I'm doing, I've just I've decided that this is the this is a, a enough that I need to talk about. Um, the, the next episode is going to kind of be like my remembrances of. Growing up with uh, TCM and IFC, which was then the Independent Film Channel. It doesn't even stand for Independent Film Channel right now. And 
it's not exactly an oral history of the channel. It's just my memories of watching it and having my uh, basically having a, a kind of film education just due to the programming that both those channels would provide. And the problem I've been running into is that I've encountered a lot of landmark seminal films getting into it like i'm gonna have to talk a little bit in detail about say 2001 a space odyssey or uh seven samurai or just all these other ones now i'm having to make a decision about what films to talk about and what to just say oh i saw this and this and this and this and should i really do it that way it's 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 a little bit it's a little trickier than my last previous solo episode, which had like one page of notes, and this one so far has five. <laughs> so it's it's been something that I've uh, been thinking about every time I go to work, and uh, just thinking about what else should I talk about. So uh, I'm I'm planning to I'm planning to finally put an end to it this by the end of this week. Awesome! That'll be fun to listen to. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I guess I have nothing else to add. I'm all talked out, Adam. I'm going to be hoarse the rest of the day. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm kind of spent, too, and I uh, recently woke up, so I'm not sure if that's a good thing or not. But, man, I loved talking about these topics with you. So, once again, thank you for inviting me and me, uh, and making me feel like I'm part of the program. You're welcome. And uh, everybody, if you want to go to nimpodcast.blogspot.com, that's the website where we have ET Landfill. And you can also find our archive there. You can send me an email at nimpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can send me a voicemail at 1206-309-4729. But most of all, join us on our ETL fan club on Facebook. It's always fun to uh, see what we have posting there. And it's a lot of fun. Also, if you want, become a patron on our Patreon. There's a link there on the website. So, guys, thank you so much for listening to the show. Thank you so much for supporting ETL. And I hope to see you next time. All right, guys. See you later. Later, you later. When Jesus himself. Now this is podcasting. podcasting.